Welcome to Hearthside Salons. I'm Heidi Hornbacher of Pagecraft Writing. Each week we bring you conversations with creators and innovators to feed your creative fire. As we turn over a new leaf in America, we're talking more and more about voice and representation. We're breaking out of white centering in stories, asking who gets to tell whose stories. My guests today are filmmakers Jessica Burgess and J.T. Schindler on their short film based on the legend of Fatima. J.T. realized he was writing from the male ego, so he brought in his wife, an Indian woman, to rewrite and built a team of women and people of color to bring this story to life. We talk about what they're doing as indie filmmakers to move forward during a pandemic, the paths films open in merely showing empowerment, and representation as resistance. A note to listeners, there are a few swear words and we do discuss sexual assault. We start today by talking about travel and hospitality. Jessica and JT, welcome to Hearthside Salons. Thank you, thank you so much for having us. Yeah, I'm yeah, really excited. You. Yeah. Um, I just rewatched the Your Seed and Spark uh, video for Fatima. And, you know, it was just, I'm, first of all, uh, I really want to be on the crew because I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> there are definitely positions available. So let's talk. Uh, yes. 100%. And I've been to India several times. So I'm very comfortable with this area. With uh, I have friends and family there. So people want us to come. So this is not going to be a very... Uh impossible Exciting. venture you know obviously everything has its difficulties yes but please yeah. let's talk afterwards <laughs> yeah yeah oh my gosh so, india is number one on my list it has been for a while it's um, incredible. And, and we have a, a, a close friend that keeps going just come with me next time i go home and we're like please <laughs> it's really that simple and you'll be amazed at its open arms when you go I and like that. People like said that a lot about India, but I think as Americans, we have this strange view of India that's sort of been like yeah. impregnated in our minds. And then you show up and it's just hugs and food everywhere you go, no matter who it is, they'll say, have you eaten? And you're like, yes. And then they put food in front of you and you're like, we don't care. Food anyway. <laughs> so it's just like, I love that about India. And I, I think if you have an opportunity, take it just go. It, yeah. It's definitely worth it. I've been there three times now and I'm going back oh. as soon as I can. Yeah. Well, I think too, we have, as Americans, there is a very different cultural thing for, you know, we have our rugged individualism mm -hmm. and, um, and it's so different when you're in other parts of the world in, t in terms of how people share and how people conceive of hospitality and strangers, just dealing with strangers. And, you know, I, I've, I remember I was in, this is, we're totally going on a side, a side track now, but I love it. Um, I was in Italy and um, I used to live there. And at one point I was on my way back to the train station to fly out. And I really, I didn't have anywhere to stay that night in Milan. And I just was chatting to the person with in the same train compartment with me. And when we got to Milan, he was like, well, where are you staying? And I was like, I don't know. He's like, oh, you're coming home with me in America. There's no way a, we would offer that or B you would accept that because it would be weird. And I knew in my gut that it wasn't like a like weird sexy time thing. Sure, sure. I just knew I could trust him. And I went with I went with him to his house. His mom, his grandma, his sister, his dad, everyone, they were like, welcome. And and just, you know, we're so glad to talk all night. And I was like, this is amazing. And this would never happen in America. It could, right? But it doesn't. And yeah. It's a fascinating thing about 
I don't know if it's hospitality or just a cultural difference, but I, I used to tell people, because I had traveled a lot before I went to India, that I love going to other countries because you go to someone's house and they'll be like, are you thirsty? It's like the first thing they'll ask yeah. you, like, do you want to drink a water? And you'll be like, oh, sure. And they're like, well, what about a cup of coffee? Actually, I have a beer if you'd like. You know what? I have this really nice wine. <laughs> and then you go to somebody's house in America and it's like, hey, man, can I have a cup of water? And they're like, oh, you didn't bring your own? Yeah. Like, I don't know where <laughs> that discrepancy well, happened. I don't know about you guys, but I, have you been to the South before, like recently in the past little bit? Because that's where I grew up. And like, that's okay. my, yeah. if you don't get offered something, as soon as you walk in the door, you usually leave out the door with like a baked good, <laughs> who knows, <laughs> maybe something they made, maybe something they grew, maybe some, an wow. animal, you don't know. An so, animal, here's your I new cat. Yeah, we yeah. found this dog and we saw you didn't have one when you showed up. <laughs> Maybe animal might be too far, but you know, my parents would be very offended. They'd be like, I would only ever give someone like, oh, of course, like it's just sure. I think it's cultural. Maybe yeah. New York is a uh, jaded, uh, made it as jaded uh, JT. Well, I think I you bring up a really interesting thing that America is different countries, you know? It very and much I, is. I think if you go south, you are entering a different cultural like community mm-hmm. where that might exist. Me being like a Midwesterner originally, a New Yorker now, I think there is a lot of this like selfish attitude. But yeah, I could definitely see down in the South in my very limited experience there, someone offering me a glass of water if I came to their sure. home. Sure, yeah. Well, so you're from the Midwest, <clears throat> yes. JT, and, and Jessica, you're from the South. Where specifically? Mm-hmm. I grew up in uh, outside of Asheville in North Carolina. Oh, I love it there. One of my best friends lives there now. I grew up there and moved back recently. So first of all, how did you guys both get to be filmmakers? Like what made you say, this is my life and this is what I'm doing. And then how did you meet? How did you connect? I I like how we met because I still remember, (laughs) Jessica, did you call me a happy little wood elf? Isn't that how you describe me to somebody? That sounds correct. (laughs) I think I called you that to Blaine, who is my partner. And I said, he's like, oh, he's a nice little elf. Like, I like him. (laughs) So I was, uh, at the time, I had had co-written a script with a South Korean director, Hui Sung Soon, who is a very good friend of mine. She is now back in South Korea. And we were working on a film together and we were seeking just production support. I think we talked to you about insurance and some other things. And so Blaine had put us in touch with Jess. And I don't know what it was about that phone call, but like something just immediately clicked. And I just felt like a bond with Jess since that moment. And we haven't worked a ton together. We've always been around each other sort of since that project. Mm. And I don't know if we could have made that movie without jessica's help and so we have owed the success of that film pretty much to you entirely and i don't know if you ever knew this that film received what they call the official seal of approval in south korea from the minister of culture wow i didn't know that yeah once that film was completed in return to south korea hui sung soon was stamped a director so she is nice. an official South Korean director. She is wow. state sanctioned. State sanctioned, which like, I was like, I can I get on that list? Like, what's the process here? That's amazing. So yeah, yeah I love that. Because I've talked to so many filmmakers now and there is that like, 
you can tell when you want to work with someone. Mm-hmm. Like you can just yeah. feel the chemistry like you would in any relationship. So, and, and obviously really. Jessica, you had always wanted to work with a wood elf. So you were like, boom, <laughs> I'm in. Here I am. <laughs> I, I was a huge yeah. Lord of the Rings fan. So it, it does Fair. make sense. Uh, Legolas was a childhood crush. So I don't, you know, it's, it just makes sense. Um, Legolas no. is still a crush for me. I, I mean, <laughs> that <laughs> hair. Beautiful, the hair, beautiful the man. Braid. I mean, I've kind of wanted to do this since I knew it was a thing that you could do. Like, I remember when I was a little, little kid and I was like, I thought that to be in a cartoon, like you just, you like did the voice, like you just were, you became them, like the voice person, like made everything somehow. And I was like, <sighs> that's what I want to do I want to like be the cartoon like because someone told me that there was someone who did that and I was like that's the coolest thing possible <laughs> yeah I want to be that guy and then when I got old enough to realize like my my family is one of the people who like had 400 VHSs like <sighs> movie night every night kind of thing um so it's, I, I, I don't know if I have a choice like I've, I've definitely been through the trials and tribulations but I think at this point it's just like I don't know what else I would do. Like it's kind of stuck with it. I don't know. I think that's <laughs> such an important part of it too. Cause my, my friend, my friend Nick uh, was on with us last week and he's a, he's a big old writer. And he was like, there are other, there are easier ways to be miserable than do this. So you should only do it if you like have to do it. And it's like, those of yeah. us that, you know, it's like when you have to, then it's like, you find such joy in it. Oh, totally. Yeah. I know. I, I love doing it. I mean, it is a very, it's not an easy profession, but it's, it's amazingly rewarding. I've never worked harder for anything in my life, you know, 18 hour days and stuff, yeah. but keep so coming back. What are your, each of your roles on this project on Fatima? Uh, Jess is one of our lead producers stateside uh, okay. because it's a co-production with India we do have a production team in India as well. I am the writer director of the project and because it's low budget, because it's indie, I've had to take on a lot of the additional producing roles. A lot of hats. Yes, a lot of hats. And for me, I, it's always been that journey. You know, I got into this as a writer, but you know, I started off just writing fiction short stories. And I, I think I quickly realized that the way to reach the largest audience is through visual mediums. Mm. So that's what led me to film. And uh, this story, I, I, I don't know how to explain this to non-writers, but when you feel that vibration, could like, I don't know, like you've obviously been there, like you start to like channel, you mm-hmm. like to feel the universe communicating to you. That level of excitement hit me when I started writing Fatima is it was like, oh, I'm supposed to do this. Like mm. I am translating something. I through. love that. Yeah. I think channeling is one of like the hardest things to describe to people because it feels so spiritual. Yeah. It feels very woo woo when you talk about yes, it. But yeah, yeah. When you're in it, man, you're just like, this is not me writing these words. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you have that like shaking and I always try to explain to people. It's like, I tingle. I'll feel like a tingle and that, I'm hearing something, mm-hmm. not really thinking it. So I have to type it really fast or say it out loud. And a lot of Fatima has been written that way. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And so you, and then you have a, a co-writer, correct? I do. Uh, my wife, Viana Sinan. And I remember I wrote the script 
like in one blow. So I, I use the fabulous system pretty much for everything I write. So I break it down, hero's journey, basic synopsis, you know, the usual. Yeah. And then I sat down to write and it was just like, and it just came pouring out. I word vomited and I handed it to her and she looked at me and she's like, this is awful. And I was like, (gasps) (laughs) no, I was channeling. Come on. And she's like, it's not so much the story. I'm like, okay, so what didn't you like? And she's like, give it to me. And so she took it away from me and she just macheted it. And a lot of what it was, was I was, I was writing too much from the male ego Mm. and there just wasn't enough of the female voice in my narrative. And I was like, well then lend it. So she took it, she edited, she changed so much. And so I saw how successful that was because we took her version of the script and we started pitching it to people. And the female response every time was, I want to make this movie. And I was like, okay. And that showed me something so important that I don't even really know how to put into words, except for you just need more women at the table. You just need more women at the table. And I think the most famous quote is, I never make an important decision without a woman present. Oh, God. If that were only true for the whole world. Come come on, on. right? But it it has made so much sense in this film. And at this point, our crew is almost entirely female above the line and it is as diverse as it possibly can obviously there are complications in that but it was just who wanted to work on the project became very easy to see early on and i Mm. i showed the script to a couple men and i remember the one guy i showed it to who i was really excited about was like so it's cool but i think like the chick needs to like lift up a rock at some point so she looks strong and i was like i need you to hand me the script back (laughs) i don't think you understand what i'm trying to say that put a lot of things in perspective for me you know the male gaze is very real and also Mm -hmm. it's tiered and it's layered and it's structural and it is both in the audience and in the creator. Well, and it's it's like water to the fish, right? It's like mm. within the patriarchal system, you don't even realize that it's there because you're just breathing it and it's how the world looks. And until someone pulls you out and goes, hang on, if you look at things from over here, it's like, wait, what? There's different perspectives? There are different perspectives. <laughs> it's crazy. But I, I love what you're saying because it's like, this is where we are at this moment in history. You know, we're at talking about more seats at the table, talking about who's, who's gaze, whose perspective. Listening to Viana on talk about the, on the season spark video, it's like, there's so much in the story about male gaze versus female gaze that like how, you, you couldn't do this story without women in positions of power at this table. In positions of power. And like that was something we need to stress from the beginning of the project, because it's not something you can play catch up with. No. Right? You can't, you can't go... reverse engineer yes. that, that story. And I feel like a lot of the industry is attempting to like interject intersectionality, but it's so fake, you know? It's yeah. not authentic. If And I have gotten flack. I have definitely gotten pe- like pushback from people or being like, mm. why is a white man mm-hmm. telling a brown woman's story? And I have to be like, well, that's a very good question. Let's explore that together because I feel compelled to tell this story. 
So I have surrounded myself with women and women of color who agree with what I am saying. I didn't just try to force it through. I didn't try to like push it on people. And I feel like that's going to be a new future that we can work towards where women can tell men's story, men can tell women's story. But right now we're in a place in history where it's white males telling white guy stories, showing mm -hmm. white people on screen. It's like, we're never going to get anywhere. Yeah. If that's what we keep doing. Yeah. I, the white centering is such a big factor and it's, it's, one of those things that again didn't we didn't even realize it was a thing until mm -hmm. like as a white woman you know I, of course the the you know the, the the red shirt dies first the red shirt's always a black guy you know and it's just like right I didn't even think about that until really starting to wake up to all this and like realizing oh I don't have to be the center of the story you don't have to be the center of the story I can enjoy stories that aren't about white people you can't hey I I have and that's why don't we read more of this type of literature growing up? And there are very obvious reasons. And, you yeah. know, I don't think we need to discuss that. The but canon. Yeah, there's a certain canon that exists and it's on purpose. Uh, yeah. So it takes us, I will say, a certain level of bravery from all of us to just start reading, listening, and saying other things. Mm -hmm. And one of the other, like, pushbacks I got is people are saying, well, how do you tell a story of, that confronts the male gaze when you yourself are male with the male gaze. And I was like, well, one of the first things I did was hire a female D DP. She's a Jordanian yes. born Palestinian woman. Wow. So I was like, please work on my project. And I showed her everything. And her name's Laura Akel and was like, uh, yeah, I'll make this. And actually for the same reason that Zanab just said is because that was her grandmother's name, Fatima. Oh, and cool. that was something I'm finding is that this name has power. Mm -hmm. This name has weight. And from the onset, like we haven't really like shot listed yet or storyboarded yet, but we've had conversations. And the main conversation is that I want this to be from the female gaze because I know what influence I could have. Yeah. Because there are things about this movie that could very easily become over-sexualized. Mm -hmm. Well, and especially because the story does deal with rape. and It does. And you, that's, you really need a woman, a woman's eye and a woman in charge, I think, to tell that story without, without it being, becoming titillating. You know, it's supposed to be horrifying, not like, ooh. My experience with this is we had a, I had a story um, that I was producing with a friend and about four high school girls. And mm and we brought in a male dp the first sort of go round and he was like like let's just have her up on that ladder and so then we're going to be sort of looking up and you know they've got the little catholic schoolgirl skirts on and and we were like oh you don't understand what we're doing here no and uh, so we fired him and then hired a female dp because it was just like she would never have put a teenage girl in that position like what are you crazy not unless it demanded it you right. know, I think, yeah, I, I, but it was supposed I, to be about empowering this girl and here he is putting her in a disempowering, like, <laughs> right. crazy, and we were like, okay, no, but you know, no. I, we had to go through it to learn that there is a difference and it's just baked into like, you, you, you don't know what you don't know. Kudos to you for realizing, yeah, we need other eyes. 
I, I've been in the industry long enough. I've been in the camera department long enough to know the difference to how men call for things, to how women call for things, mm. to even working with some transsexual DPs to the, you know, saying they and them and understanding not to gender somebody before mm. they present it. And so I think all of that's great. I think all this is so important. And it's it's wanting other people to think this is cool that sort of drives me is if we can brand this as a fun way to live, maybe other people want to do it. Being curious about other cultures. Yeah. <laughs> so Jessica, what drew you to the story? Well, I think that I got the version that uh, Viana wrote because I definitely didn't get the, uh, the, the, the male gaze vibe at all from the script. I, I think it's important not only that it's a woman, but it feels like a badass woman, not like, a badass hero that they kind of put a wig and a dress on. And we're mm-hmm. like, it's a lady, I guess now. It, I feel like that happens a lot, especially when these are stories about women who are really taking back power, a certain like a vengeance. They just seem like men dressed up and it mm-hmm. doesn't feel like it is coming from a place of femininity and an understanding of womanhood, what these things really mean while also being in power. Um, and I just really enjoyed that. And that it's a story that I hadn't heard before, but I know is very culturally relevant and present. So I think it's amazing to have an international team that's led by so many women make this story and make it available both to people in the United States who might not have heard of it before and also just put it out there more widely in a way that seems very of the moment and correct. Support as much as possible and make sure JT, you know, doesn't do anything bad. He won't, but you know, <laughs> gotta keep him in line. Just well, like, yeah, I, I hear that and I respect that. <laughs> can you can you actually give us a little nutshell, like log line or story pitch, just so the folks at home know what we're talking about? Sure. I so what I like to tell people is I was researching something else at the time when I came across uh the Hamsa, the evil eye. It's the image I showed you where it's like the circle. Yeah blue, white, light blue, black. And they sometimes call it the Nazar amulet. Mm. And I was like, what is this thing? You see it all over. Yeah. But I didn't know what it was. And it was coming up in my research constantly. And so I looked it up and there was a story that involved Fatima where it said that her husband had come home with a, a new wife and she shoved her hands into boiling water and burned them. And that's where the evil eye image came from. And I was like, nah, what? I don't buy it. Yeah, exactly. I was like, I don't buy that at all. But I kept getting the same story. And I was like, I'm going to I'm gonna check back with you on that, you know? So I dug deep and I really dove down like the rabbit's hole to the point where it's like you're taking sentences from one website and connecting them to maybe a sentence in another text that you found. And I eventually pieced together the story that is this movie where Fatima in our version of the tale is, you know, a grown woman. Uh, She is a leader of like a community that's in the desert who has removed themselves from a lot of society and sort of isolated themselves. And she is a known leader of this tribe of people in the desert and a very respected leader. And three unknowing men from the village 
try to rob her sort of like absentmindedly while she's coming home, coming home, you know, returning to her tribe in the desert. And she gives them a chance. But then when they show aggression and like make a move on her, she basically defends herself to the fullest extent of her power. And not to give too much away past that point, but to us, it is about a woman basically putting her foot down and saying, I won't take this anymore. And I don't think women have to. And, you know, personally, uh, I, I drove a lot of this inspiration, not only from my research, but I'm a martial arts student and my sensei was female. Uh, my sister studied with me and she was above me in rank and I trained with her all the time. So I was constantly surrounded by these female warriors who were still feminine in a way, but also had this strength that was so uniquely theirs. Mm. And as Jess, I think so elegantly put, it wasn't just, you know, men with a wig on, like this was an example of how you can be strong and be a woman and not have to pick up a giant rock as that one guy yes. <laughs> had told me to do. It's just like, yeah, like I can't pick up a giant rock, man. So I don't understand how that defines strength in anybody. Um, I love it. As, as, as a former self-defense teacher, okay, I'm, yes. <laughs> I'm very much into that whole, yeah, yes. Women defending themselves, women finding their power and, yeah. you know, just kicking the ever loving crap out of someone who tries to hurt them. I have taught self-defense for a very long time and it is generally my best students are women. And I think it's because it's like, oh, I can just do what? I'm like, just grab their thumb, just yank it back. It's done, you know? <laughs> like there are very yeah. simple techniques to put somebody <laughs> down. And it's like, thank you. <laughs> like, yeah. okay, but also don't kill anyone. I have to make <laughs> But it, I think that's so important. It's such an important message for women because we're, we're we're raised to believe that you know men are impenetrable mm. there's nothing you can do i mean and tv reinforce this this as, as an instructor this drives me crazy when i see um an assault scene or something when you know they have the woman like pinned in a really simple way and this the character is just sort of going ah, ah and there's like there's nothing there's nothing she can do and i'm sitting there going oh my god this this knee to the groin this the, you know heel palm to the note like what you've got yes. weapons open just you've got targets this. open come on and they just are like well there's she's just gonna sit here and and and, and i it makes me crazy so to see that there's you know to have that you know you teaching the, the how how simple some of it really is so simple. and then you know propagating films that also show that like that it's not just because he's a man does not mean he's infallible he's pretty easy to hurt if you know what to do very easy to hurt and um, we have <laughs> many more weaknesses actually yes. a yes. lot more weaknesses than the female body uh, and. I, I sometimes share this story and I haven't done it in a while, but actually one of my students, um, she was attacked. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was after we had trained for some time and she whipped her keys out and plunged them into his neck. Damn girl. And she said, only because you taught me how to do that, did I even have the courage to do yeah. that? That dude's coming for yeah. you, take it. Yeah, no, that's the thing is like, well, but, you know, we get the thing of, well, I don't want to start anything. And it's like, no, no, no. He started it. It's mm -hmm. already started. 
don't worry about that part. Please defend yourself. Defend yourself. And I think you started to talk about it. It's, it's solar plexus groin in step foot, bridge of the nose, and then bolt. Yes, Andy and Bullock. I just teach that <laughs> to everybody on the planet. Just repeat it. Like it's... And I love that she did that. And I actually have a lot of respect for Sandra Bullock because so many of her films, her and McCarthy, have been promoting like self-defense very subtly in their films. But But we need, yeah. Yeah, I mean, studies have shown that even if a woman just has the idea that she thinks she might be able to do something, it makes a difference versus being told, fed a steady diet of there's nothing you can do, there's nothing you can do, there's nothing you can do. So like even just the suggestion and showing that on screen is so valuable. Which is one of the things in this film is like, we just want to show in, in our way, it's a little bit more of a parable than it is actually like, I don't think many women are going to be carrying a bow and arrow with them. But if, <laughs> if you happen to be in a situation where you're attacked oh, wow. and you have a bow and arrow, but it, it's kind of this analogy or this parable of like, you can defend yourself, that yeah. men are not invincible and that they can be defeated. And even just saying it, I hope that that creates ripples. Yes. And that those ripples can flow out and we can tell more stories like this. Well, and I think it's such an important piece to put in that not to diminish anyone's choices or experience as a survivor, Yes, you know, and making anyone wrong for having been assaulted and having, you know, it's natural to freeze and do nothing. And if, you know, I, we always used to say to our, our students, you did what you knew, what you did, everything you knew to do at the time. Like you worked with the tools you had. And if those tools were not, no tools, that's not your fault. No, it's, it's our fault. It's our fault as a society, honestly, that anyone ever feels defenseless. And I think it is an important message, especially to survivors, is that we failed you. Yeah. And it's our fault. And like, we want to do something. And I think there's enough of us gaining a voice right now saying we want to do something about this that there can be a change made and it starts with a whisper and becomes a roar and we just have to keep repeating it. And I feel like a lot of my work has started to carry this weight to it. And it's just Mm. like, I I think this is only what I want to make moving forward. I love it. Yeah. Because I've seen the other movies, you know, I've helped make the other movies. I'm done with Mm. them. Let's make something new. Let's tell different stories. So what's development been like during COVID? Oh yeah. Uh, a lot of this, a lot of <laughs> Zoom, a lot of email, a lot of text. And for me, it feels like everything has been ex- expedited. It's like if it can be done with a phone call, why don't we just send an email? You know, <laughs> like if it could just be a text, just text it to me. Yeah. A lot of things that used to be, all right, let's get to the production office. Let's have coffee. Let's yep. sit down. That's just gone. It's over. And I, I'm almost grateful because of how much of a time suck yeah. and a joy stealer that is. Finding parking, going to the place oh where you're God. having the meeting and then having to find parking. <laughs> That's the thing that I'm like, yep, don't miss that. At all. <laughs> and I can almost work faster and more efficiently now. Uh, obviously, the one thing we can't do is shoot uh, because, you know, safety. You know, we have chosen as a team, and Jess and I have spoken about this many times. It's like, yeah. not until it's safe. Yeah. Not yeah. until it's safe. Like, yeah. 
I've spoken to other producers who are trying to shoot right now. Mm-hmm. And one of them was like, look, man, we're just going to kind of do it on the honor system. And like people mm-hmm. wear masks. It's like, mm-hmm. I am busy forever. Maybe forget my number, you know, like, I don't yeah. know if I want to be a part of this. You're not going to gamble with my well-being that way. Thanks. No, not at all. And thinking that through is like, oh, I can't do that to anyone else. I have to lead by example here. And it's tough because obviously we're losing time but we're saving lives so that's the one sacrifice is that we we wanted to shoot this a while ago you know this has definitely been in the works for some time and it's just like all right let's just keep delaying until that moment when we can strike yeah and that's that's true of just everyone I have another film that's in that's about to you know we're done and we're trying to take it to a festival but it's like when festivals happen again so it keeps pushing and I feel like everyone's kind of in the limbo so it's almost mm-hmm. you know unless you're willing to kind of go out on a limb and shoot something which even if you're yeah. trying to do it right is impossibly hard so yeah just playing it safe and smart and just saying you know it's not going to be forever this there will be a time and just you know yeah. patience until then yeah more soon calls I had a, a film in, in a festival in a couple of festivals this summer and it was just sort of like, okay, it's cool that you guys have persisted and everything's streaming and I can watch stuff from the comfort of my home. And it would be super cool to just be in Park City right now. Or, you know, it's like, it's <laughs> yeah. just not the same without all that, the, the goofy yeah. hobnobbing and, you know. There's a new movement to start doing these festivals on Twitch or some of these types of like, cam sites right mm-hmm. because the audience types throughout the entire experience yeah. my brother has a dj set that he does every week on twitch yes. <laughs> and it is just kind of fun to just be like you're interacting with the other people that are on it and like you know you see regulars after a while and we're like what's going on and you know yeah jim 654 how's your kid like you just yeah, totally <laughs> oh, i love this song remember that one time we were you know driving through the desert and yeah but yeah. we we missed the hobnob. I think you you nailed it. It's like that's so important to what we do as artists is try to make the next movie. Yes. So the festival is only good for us if we get that next job. Yeah. And so I've done the digital festivals this year with two films and it was like I released them on YouTube. Like it just didn't yeah. feel yeah. real. Yeah. It's like I had some people go, oh, I watched it. It was really cool. And it's like, and then it just kind of, whoosh. it's yeah. like, thanks. Okay. <laughs> if a film falls in the forest, does anyone hear it? You know? I yeah. saw your photo on Instagram and I liked it. It's like, <laughs> cool. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. There's something about the experience that's missing. And also just, you know, we're social creatures. We're wired to, mm-hmm. to create tribes, you know, and the fact that we can't, aside from this, we can't really do that is, that's what's missing. So what are some of the, besides obviously the COVID and getting the crew together and like, what are the obstacles that you've dealt with just thus far? And what do you see coming down the pike in terms of moving this forward? Well, obviously one of our largest hurdles is logistics take up the majority of any like filmmaking process. I think most people spend most of their time and money on logistics. It's like, okay, so how do we logistically plan something in another country speaking two or three different languages while we're here and some of our crew is there and our talent is coming from another city south of the location we want. So 
operating under somebody else's rule set has mm. become the biggest thing. Interesting. And learning, you know, I have to make friends with the military out there. And that was like oh, a very hey. really like a very real thing. And it happened actually one of my last meetings in India before I came back. So I was sat down at a table and at the end of the meeting, the guy walked me out to his car and I found out he was a general. Oh, hello. And that he was like, I would like my daughter to work on your movie. And I'm like, she has permission to work on my movie. But, you know, here where it's like, maybe you're trying to work with the unions or whoever's like the Teamsters in an area, in certain parts of India, it's the military or the police. Wow. And so you just learn the power dynamics are different in different areas of the mm. world. And obviously the language is a huge barrier. Yeah. And so I was very grateful that we hired two people early on to help with us as like fixers, as producers, to just take care of the language for me. And so what that leads to is, do we hire an American AD or an Indian AD? Oh, which gosh. is a debate we have leading up to probably the shoot. It's because I want somebody on my team, but I need somebody who is on their team. Because yes. they need to speak the same language, have the same energy. So that's a hurdle that we haven't even attempted to jump yet. Yeah, because the COVID thing, one of the biggest things is that you're kind of, you can only plan so far, right? Because like you can get up to a point, but you don't know if there's going to be a lockdown on yeah. their side, on our side. Is it going to spike? Is it going to? So you kind of have to just keep moving forward with the understanding that you can just put so many pieces in place until there's a go. And then kind of knowing that the go means just, you're gonna, you're gonna have to figure it out kind of very quickly, which is, that feels also like every production I've ever been on to some extent. <laughs> it really is kind of like an actual external thing. It's not waiting for someone's approval or an actor. It's like, you know, when will the world be able to, you know, operate pseudo normally? Yeah. So it, it just kind of, it, you know, I feel like everybody's been living in the time warp of like, it's been almost a year, but it's also been a year and it's like, you can't, <laughs> so you kind of lose track of things. So it's been, it's just been interesting trying to operate like a film set when mm. nothing is normal, you know? Remember when we or, thought it was only going to be a few weeks? That was adorable. Weeks. Just a few weeks to figure it out. We'll be fine. We have two bags of rice. We're fine. <laughs> I remember where I was. I don't know if like you have like a flashbulb memory, but I remember I was in India when I got an email and I was sitting in a meeting and the email said your flight might be canceled. And so I stood up at the meeting was like, hey, this has been great. And I kind of like flash them the email and they're like understood we will talk at another time wow and I just left the room and it's wild it's like snap we're a year later I didn't so you were really close to lockdown when this when that happened it was I was border to border India like everybody in India was making fun of me for being an American because I would be like <clears throat> and they'd be like <gasps> And, you know, and they'd be like, oh, all the Americans are sick. And it's like, uh, don't make fun of me. <laughs> but it's because it hadn't reached, you know, what it is at this yeah. point. So yeah. it was moments after that. I was just like, and it was awful because the company was an Oscar winning 
visual effects company. Wow. It was like the opportunity I've been looking for the entire time I've been in India. It was like, oh, these are the these are the people. Yeah. And like yeah. I think after two sips of coffee, I got the email. I was like, you know what? <laughs> oh my God. You guys seem yeah. great, but I have to bounce. I don't want to be stuck here. Right. Um, we normally run writing retreats in Italy every year. Yes. And so that that of course fell apart for us. And it, and it was like, remember when everyone was afraid of Italians? Cause it was like, <laughs> oh, they're the disease vectors. And now it's like, I mean, well, so you're fundraising, you're on in Spark. Yeah. How's that going? It's going well. Uh, it's our first week. And in our first week we hit our 30% goal, which is Great. like your usual goal is to get 30% yes. your first week. And we're now taking our next steps. Uh, we've contacted... Uh, do you know from the heart productions yes yes so we're, we're working with them to see like okay how would a fiscal sponsorship work for us because i nice. think it is a big boost when you can yes. tell your donors oh it's tax deductible now like that yes it makes it, it all does help the much more worth it uh we've also begun our push into like influencers and even reaching out to celebrities just like with fingers crossed yeah because it was like i think Elon Musk recently was like, oh, I need a way to donate this money. So we started tweeting at him and was like, well, wait, we have a way you could donate a couple dollars, right? <laughs> like if you look Throw at some options, here. right? And it seems silly, but it's like, uh, if you've done a scene spark, you've done crowdfunding, you have to do everything. Nothing yes. is crazy. Just talk yes. to everyone you have ever known. I'm digging back into like high school friendships to be like, I know it's been almost 20 years, but they're like, yeah, great to talk to you, JT. (laughs) (laughs) Most people have been receptive because I've, I've been polite and been like, Hey, my wife and I are doing this. Can you just check out the seed and spark? Let me know what you think. And almost everyone's been like, Whoa, this is actually amazing. I would love to give. And it's like, thank you. And that feels good. The response has been positive and the response has been incredibly positive from my like my family, my friends. And I feel like as a filmmaker and as an artist, they're your first judge. They're your first gate of like, yeah, what I'm doing have value is what I'm doing has worth because they should be the ones that tell you be like, yo, this is kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> maybe rewrite this or maybe rework yeah. this. But I, everybody, and I, I, I love that I can say that, like every one of my family members has been like, let me help, let me donate, let me share it. What can I do to help? And it's just like, it's reiterating to me that, okay, this is good. This has a usefulness to people, you know? And, and it's, it's been inspiring me to keep going. Good. And a shout out to Seed and Spark and Emily Best and that their crew. Like I, I also had a great experience um, last. Was it last year? What is time? Um, is <laughs> what it a is year? time? Anyway, <laughs> recently, when one could still go around, uh, I we, I did a Seed and Spark for a short film and had a great experience there. So, what I love I, about it is they really make you think about everything before you can just you can't go off half cocked. It is yeah. why we chose them, honestly, is because you have to apply and they'll tell you out the gate, eh, yeah. this is going to cut it, this ain't worth it. You know, it's a yeah. curated crowdfunding. And then after I submitted my stuff, she was like, mm, can we actually work on some of this? And I was like, yeah, I yes, mean, you're the, yes, you're the expert. And you're right. They have been with us 
every step of the way to make this campaign as strong and as powerful as it possibly can be. And we reached the first page or the front page within our first week. Nice. Uh, and now like that felt good, you know, yeah. that they were recognizing our effort, that they were seeing that people were enjoying the campaign. This is the only, I don't want to say this, but I have to say, I feel like Scene Spark is the only way to do it. If you're going to yeah, do no. a film, if you're going to raise money it. for a film. I wouldn't do it another way now that I've done it with them. I did, I did a GoFundMe a couple years ago, which was fine. But, yeah. you know, the, my experience with Seed and Spark was so much better. So I'm like, that's the way we're going to go in the future. Plus, that, they help you yeah. build future audience for your next thing. Yes, which so. it's community. And I think we yeah. have forgotten how important community is when we get sort of locked in with the blinders on to our yeah. art and our craft. Is that community is what's going to drive your future because you need people to watch what you make. You need people to talk about what yeah. you've written. So you need a community who enjoys you as an artist, who enjoys your brand and what you're giving to the world. And that was one of the things that Scene Spark stresses from the onset yeah. is reach out to your community. You're not selling a product here. You are yeah. connecting with those people who love you. So show them love and then show them your project. It goes back to the hobnobbing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so did you guys think ahead of time about distribution? Do you have a distribution plan? Was that part of your budget? Like, I always, always stress distribution. And for this one, we are using it more as a proof of concept. Okay. And... Uh, I I believe I can say this on air. If I can't, I will tell you at another date. But uh, we're speaking with Sony India. Uh, actually, one of my relatives has a friend who works there. And they showed them the project. They were like, well, obviously, this is a short film. We can't do anything with this. And we were like, yes, but this is our proof of what we can do. And they were like, Okay, so a lot of our conversations have been that way with other type of like distribution companies is like, obviously, this is not going to be something you can sell to a large degree, because as you know, with short films, yes. the profit margin is not there. Nobody's and not making there. any money. Nobody wants to buy this. If anything, we'll probably get it onto Amazon or someone like this, just so that yeah. it has a place to live. But the real goal of it is that we can walk into our next meeting saying, this is what we did last time. Mm -hmm. here's the here's the feature script yeah this is the profit we're anticipating you know like it's going to be our business card moving forward excellent mm -hmm. I th that's so important i we had um lindsay lanzilotta from uh carousel on a couple weeks yes. ago and she, she was just like you have to think you know I, the, and i know you know from my own experience the amount of people who go into this thinking my budget goes up to post maybe some festivals but people don't think as far as distribution and how it's like you, you have to, and that has to be part of your initial plan. And I, my, it's good that my you... big single tier is that distributor is gone. I, uh, <sighs> do you remember that company? It was like $2,000. They will sell it to everyone. And I, I was... remember the demise being much talked about. And then like, <laughs> right? that's what I mean, with, with the vacuum there, like there's some, it seems like if it was a workable model, someone else should be able to step in and do. I feel well, like, it, yeah. Yeah. 
well, it's changing a lot, right? Like the whole idea yeah. of distribution now is completely different. And I think that people who are even in the game right now don't really know where it's going. So it's mm-hmm. it's a really interesting place to be right now, like having that plan, but knowing that that might change, yeah. but there's going to be so many options for what it will yes. be. And it's a little bit like Wild West right now where you can kind of be yeah. like, have a goal, but know that like, you know, in a year or two when it's done and you're setting it out there, like maybe Netflix is the only one, or maybe there's mm. 400 different. Netflixes or. Yeah. That could be know, a different landscape. Completely different. And we just, but, but it's also really exciting because there are so many opportunities that are just naturally going to spring up from all that change. Yeah. So, you know, when things are going, when we can make things, it's going to be a really fun time to make things. Yeah. So, I know I went into mine with my short film thinking didn't I didn't think about distribution because I thought it's a short film no one I can't sell it right and you know we'll do festivals and then I was actually I found I did find distribution and I got it on uh, it's on Amazon Prime yeah that's and, amazing you, you know so it's like well I, I'm not making any money from it but my work is out there and people can see it and to know that you can do that with short films, I think opens up in terms of business card opportunity, like you're saying, yeah. like that opens up so much. Because to me, that's that's the validity of a film is it used to be finish the film, but now it's sell the film. And yes. every project I've worked on the past couple of years, it's like, at least let's distribute it through a paywall on Vimeo or Amazon. Sure. It's 99 cents. That 99 cents lends credibility to the project you just made. Because if you put it on YouTube for free, this is not a film per se. I'm not going to sit down and make a point of watching it like I will if I have to pay to watch it. Right. And everybody who comes to you and says, okay, have you had distribution before? And your answer is yes. Okay, next question. But it's like, well, no, I haven't distributed a film. But it's like, well, then I don't think. We yes. want to work with you because distribution is profit. Distribution is money. Yeah. If you want to keep making movies, you have to make movies that make money. Yes. It is show <laughs> business. Yes. <laughs> well, so, so, yeah. so what's next for you then? The, the feature version of Fatima? We, actually my wife and I, Viana, have already begun what we like to call Who Has Done This? Set in Malaysia. And we're very excited about this project, but... I obviously can't give too many details because it is just in its drafting phases. Okay. But uh, we have a lot of friends and family in Malaysia and a lot of people who do film in Malaysia already. Nice. And so they're sort of waiting on us to shoot Fatima, complete it, get it ready. And then we're going to use that and start our investment this time, not fundraising, but our investment pursuits done Um, that too yeah yeah you know we're gonna level up for the next project sell units yes let's Mm -hmm. sorry let's take our budget double it crack down quadruple the units Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah yeah so we're gonna start that game next and fatima what we're currently doing is that we're working with a woman at uh un women so she yeah she herself and is an Islamic woman who is sort of not attached herself to the project, but she has lent herself to it and to the amount that she legally can and can say. Wow. Okay. So she has been supporting us because she loves what we're doing. You know, she loves the message and yeah. it was the wildest thing. We sat down next to each other on a plane. 
I think I she, love it. Right. She, I think she asked me how to change something on the screen and I showed her and then I was like, oh, what do you do? And boom, a year and a half later, we're talking about making a feature film together. But with Fatima, there are certain respects that must be paid. You know, it is not a film you can make lightly because no. it does touch on very sensitive cultural and religious sure. figures. So we're taking that very slowly. And that's why this film is based on Fatima. You know what I mean? Like this is not sure. a historically accurate retelling of anything. This is a parable. This is a legend. It's an allegory we're creating. And so we want to make the feature film. But we also want to make it in a way that is respectful and like pays honor to the person who did exist in her actual history nice. and the people who are directly descendant or related to that culture and that story. Jessica, what about you? What's next for you? Well, uh, I the next few things I have lined up, um, I don't have anything big on the horizon. I've been I've actually been going back to writing a good bit. So I have. Um, some projects I'm working on there but the things that are immediately coming up are actually in my my uh I don't know original uh path of my career which is a documentary so I'm going to be directing a little branded doc and working on some other ones which are really exciting um one of them is about biotechnology and Mm -hmm. RNAi which I had to open up my AP bio books to understand (laughs) what I was talking about that's exciting yeah, it's 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 actually really fascinating, and I could totally geek out about it now. Fascinating stuff. Yeah, that's very cool. I have some yeah. doc stuff in the works as well. So, because you know, it's easier to shoot now. It's, yeah, you know, yeah. well, mine's all in the can, so I'm just sitting here going, Guess "I should learn Premiere now." Oh, it's easy. I'll send you yeah. an email. You'll do it in ten seconds. Yeah. Okay. And then I'll send <laughs> yeah. you all the footage. You go. You sure. it was easy. Here you go. You find you the story. Deal. <laughs> That was actually, uh, just because you said it that way, uh, Tom Hayes, the guy who developed Avid, he helped me on my first documentary. Oh, my God. He said this to me. When you make a documentary, you're basically filling a room up full of shit. And your job is to walk in there and find the pony. Because you know if a room is full of shit, there's got to be a pony in there. And I was like all right, man, I'm going to take that. But then I like thought about it. I'm like, oh, he's so right. This is really what documentary is. It's just like, yeah, dig and dig. And there's a beautiful, beautiful pony that's just been like, I'm so hungry. (laughs) I've always wanted a pony. So that's, in fact, my documentary is about a pony. So there we go. Really? Full circle. We're literally looking for the pony in the story. Yeah. Yeah, mine was actually my um, my friend rescued a horse from a really bad situation here in LA and ended up researching his roots. And it, found, it turned out he was a stolen horse. And she <gasps> did all this research wow. and, and, and ended up reuniting him with his with his tribe. And this could be the coolest movie I've ever heard of. It's pretty. It's a pretty great story. So um, I'm editing it now. <laughs> I'm so excited for this. And I was just looking through your. I was like, tell me you've got a Hamsa something on your as a reward and I'm looking through your scenes program. I'm like, yep, there it is. And we, <laughs> okay, great. we have a woman who, uh, she's a silver smith. And so she's gonna be custom wow. making hamsas for people. Oh, wow. And she's gonna specifically try to do like energy alignment in everything. 
So I'm, I'm very excited to see what she does. I have a couple pieces by her already. She's a, she's oh, a great really friend, cool. uh, Katie Callahan, if you want to look her up. And I saw someone asked, uh, principal photography budget, we are looking to raise around $30,000 for principal photography. Obviously, that's not going to cover post. That's not going to cover marketing. I'm going to have to come back to that. But for principal, our goal to do about two days, two and a half days is 30000 Reasonable. Reasonable, right? Because I mean, I, when, yeah. when you're dealing with international, yeah. I think that's that's reasonable. Absolutely. You got a lot of company moves happening there and keeping flights. people, yeah, flights, <laughs> keeping people comfortable in presumably a desert. So yep. it's, it's going to be fun. We, we specifically chose the location we're at because there's an airport 10 minutes from a hotel. Nice. And then the first location is only 15 minutes from the hotel. Very and then nice. the desert is only like 30 minutes from the hotel. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, so, yeah that's we, not crazy. We tried to be very, very strategic with desert as to where we were going to be staying. Yeah, the last time I shot in the desert here, I had to drive four hours that way. So. Oh, my God. <laughs> but let me tell you, it looks great on film. I'm sure it does. No camels, but it looks really good. I, I'm so happy to be working with camels. That has been a lifelong dream. They just seem so sweet. They, well, they, they're known to spit. They that can be sweet in its own way, you know? Is <laughs> that they, true? They, they, yeah, they, they spit a lot, yeah. They spit a lot. And they'll grumble at you. They'll be ve they're very grumbly. Okay. That's kind of charming. Yeah. <laughs> it's like an old so man, you know? <laughs> he doesn't know how to communicate well. Uh, exactly <laughs> get out of my all right i'll eat your carrot <laughs> <laughs> totally what do you hope people get from this film for me i think representation is resistance and that's a phrase that we've been using with this film is that we want to take a stand against the patriarchy here and I think you start doing with art, you start doing it with the language you use in your own life, and you start affecting those in your circle, teaching them new ways to communicate with each other, showing them new things. Because, you know, most of my family is white, and I'm here standing up to them, creating a film that's very specifically about a brown woman and how powerful she can be. And this may be the first time a lot of them ever see a movie like this. Mm -hmm. But it's not the first time I've made a movie like this. The last movie I made was an all-Black female cast. Oh, wow. For no other reason that we just wanted to show four Black women living life and it not be about their Blackness, mm -hmm. but just about who they are. And I think, again, it's just representation is resistance. And the more we do it, the more that gets out there. And if we can make it appear profitable then yeah. other people buy into it. And then it can become more normal to see a film like this. And I have watched way too many <laughs> Hallmark movies recently. And it is it's always- It was Christmas. It was Christmas, but it is always a white lead. Let's be honest. Oh, yeah. And it's just like, oh, yeah. simplest change here could be just changing who the lead is. Yeah. You don't have to make that a big part of the film. You don't have to make it a big branding part of the film. It can be done just as that's normal. And I think normalizing it makes a difference. And I heard the phrase the other day, it ran in my family until it ran into me. Oh, 
right? I like that. Right? And it's like, yeah, we can stop this. Like, we can be the generation that goes, not anymore. Not past yeah. today. I'm going to start talking differently. I'm going to start respecting people for who they are. And I'm going to stop promoting something that I don't agree with. And mm. I feel like that is really what I want people to take from this film is just you can have a different story. You don't yeah. have to keep rehashing the same ideas to be relevant. Tell your story, tell it your way. That is amazing. I, I mean, I agree with everything he says. And I also think that there's kind of an element of like, you want to keep making movies that have these messages so you don't have to make these kind of movies anymore where it's yeah. just like obviously yeah like women are strong like yeah and so what like we all know that like kind of making your own movie become kind of unneeded in a way yeah. which is an odd thing but I think you want to film make yourself out of a job <laughs> yeah, exactly. out of that job yeah <laughs> like you know we're always like yeah women are strong yes women can that's what I like about this movie is it's not only about that it's an interesting way of telling that story yeah and and just you know we don't need to keep saying women are strong because we all just know yeah. it, and, it. Mm -hmm. and then keep going you know I was just reading um a, a quote the other day or I mean, there was they were talking with Toni Morrison uh, it was from an interview she gave in the 90s okay. talking mm. about when um you know the the issues that she comes up against with her writing and she said she was so tired of being asked when she was going to write a book about white people because <laughs> like wow. what, can't she stop writing about race and just write you know write about white people and i just wow. you know she just was like do you not see what you just <laughs> you know and and i think that's kind of relevant to what you're saying mm -hmm. is like if can we stop asking the why are the why aren't the white people at the center of the story here and you yeah. know it takes all of us developing a listening and developing a curiosity mm -hmm. and i think that Absolutely. those these are all bricks in the in the what we can i don't want to say i don't want to use a wall as a metaphor what am i doing bricks um, in the road. The, in the these path. are all bricks yeah. in the path of yeah. um <laughs> you know of really building building an anti-racist future yes 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 absolutely Thank you so much for being Thank here. Thank you. I really this appreciate so this. this. Yeah, was this, fun. Is, this was a this lot is, of fun. It was fun Thank for you. me too. And I'm like, oh God, we have so much more to talk about. Next time on Hot Side Salons, in this most unpredictable of industries, success often doesn't look the way we think it will. To make it as a screenwriter, you have to be in it for the long haul. Screenwriter and professor Robin Russin talks about his path from America's Most Wanted through Steven Seagal and University of California to finally directing his own features. Special thanks to our graphic and sonic designer, Joel Harris. Our theme music is by Lachey Swing. For more on our script coaching, online concept to pages screenwriting courses, and writing retreats in Italy, again someday, or to be part of our live recording audience, visit us at pagecraftwriting.com, at pagecraftwriting on Instagram, and at pagecraftwrite on Twitter. I'm Heidi from PageCraft. Thanks for listening and stay well. <laughs>